Hello, and the Posh Report is back. We've had a couple of weeks off, which is my fault, mainly work and other commitments. But we are back and ready to hit this exciting running hard. Um, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Blakey from the Roker Report today. How are you doing, Sam? Yeah, not bad. Uh, obviously, a day after the game, reasonably happy with the results. So, yeah, all's good. Yeah, exactly. We're recording what's just gone half six um, on Tuesday evening. So we've had just over 24 hours to process the result. And we will get on to the game. But as always, want to get a bit of background on the opposition. So facing Sunderland yesterday, um, a Sunderland side who have, who have changed manager this season, switched from Parkey to Lee Johnson. How has the season been going? Can you just give us a bit of information, maybe how it started, the reasons behind the switch, and then how Sunderland were looking coming into this game? Um, total, totally different uh, start of the season versus now. Um, it was it was weird at the start of the season because I remember the first sort of five or so games where we we were sort of grinding out results. So I remember we we'll beat Oxford away, um, we we'll beat you lot at home, but that was a tight game. But I don't know, people were sort of saying under partners in the first five or so games, oh, it's not going to be good to watch, but we'll get out of this league, we'll grind out results, which is what you need, to be fair. So I think most people were behind it, but then when the bounce of the ball doesn't go your way and you you don't get a penalty every week or the other team gets a red card, we saw Partinson's flaws for what he was. He's a stubborn manager who, once the team figured out his system, he, he had no idea how to change it, so... The change was really necessary and look at what Lee Johnson's done. It's just a shame it wasn't made sooner, really, because the turnaround's been incredible. We've, we've came out of nowhere, I believe, we were seventh when he took over and now it, it's, we're in the top three who look like uh, are the only ones fighting for the top two places. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there about like the run of the ball with, with Parkinson. Looking from the outside in, obviously not watching it every week, seem to have quite good performance data, mainly built on a really solid defence. I think on XG conceded, Sunderland's defence and the Parkinson had always been the best in League One, but perhaps the style of play wasn't quite to the fans' likings. Do you think it was really the style and then the second the results weren't coming, the fans started to turn him and that was the reason? And what changes has Johnson made to Sunderland that has perhaps caused this run? I think that's exactly it. I mean... No, no Sunderland fan under Partinson, if we won every game or got results every game or were near the top, would have complained with the style of play because um, it's it's just about getting out of this league or, or you can play fantastic football, which was some in the first season we saw some attacking football under Jack Ross. Like we had games that we lost 5 4. So the thing is with Partinson, it, it wasn't good to watch, but it was always, oh, well, we're getting there, we're getting three points, we're near the top, whatever. But then once the results start going against you so you're getting beat and then on top of it you're watching the football you're watching with no plan B it was it was just hard to watch I think I think the change probably would have happened sooner if there was fans in the stadium to be honest I don't think the particularly the home fans would have stood for what we were watching um, earlier on in the season No and I guess Johnson obviously known for uh, being someone of a football philosopher, if you want to use that word, uh, enjoys attacking football. His, his Bristol City fan, uh, his Bristol City teams always played nice attacking football. Um, I've only watched Sunderland a couple of times before this game and the Johnson, and obviously the results have been incredible and the run has been incredible. The the perception I got 
perhaps was that the performances maybe weren't quite as good as the results had suggested. Is as someone who watches that every week, is is that fair, or has there been a real uptick in performance? Um, there's sort of a bit of both. I feel like we're at that point of the season now where the nerves start to kick in. Um, so it, it is sort of just about the results. But the the thing we're seeing under Johnson is just belief. Um, I mean, take the past few games, for example, we were getting beat against Oxford. We won three one. We were getting beat uh, yesterday, and we got a point. And that just it hasn't been happening under the last two managers. And I think when we've got players like Aidan McGeady and Jordan Jones and obviously informed Charlie White, if we go out there to win games, it's it just has a different feel under partners. And it was like, we're going to try and grind this game at 1-0. So if we concede, you're thinking, oh, well, we're not going to win the game. But now it's it's different. And there's a, just a more belief in the sort of a, a bit of arrogance, maybe, that we have good players. So why not go and attack teams like yesterday? Uh, yesterday's game was arguably our biggest of the season and uh, to be fair Lee Johnson he played 4-4-2 with two strikers so you've got to give him credit for that No yeah I mean my follow-up question was going to be about the performance he's got at McGeady, Jones and White because that seems to be the biggest thing right he's brought McGeady back in and got the best out of him and and he's maintained that real solid base despite the injuries to defenders it seems but got White absolutely firing and got the two wide men in a system that suits them, that gives them freedom. Like McGeady's able to get inside, Jones holds width, can get crosses in, can beat his man and get and get balls into the box that White absolutely thrives on. And I mean, I think in terms of attacking balls in the box, him and Clark Harris comfortably the best two strikers in the league. At, at oh, yeah, that. definitely. Um, and then my final question before we talk about the game is, what was the perception of Sunderland fans or the team coming into this game from a Peterborough perspective, I saw on Twitter loads of people saying about how nervous they were. People really appreciated this as one of what's like to be a number of big games with the running being so tight between Hull and Sunderland and Posh. Were were you confident coming into this game or, or how did you see it? Um, personally, I, wa- I wasn't not confident, but I'm sorry, sort of, I'm saying so much crap with Sunderland over the last few years I feel like you're never really going to a big game confident but a lot more confident than I have been recently it just it it felt like a big game and when a game feels like a big game you spend the weekend rolling over in your head and you're waiting for the teams to be announced you just get that nervousness in your stomach and I I think I think that sort of went on the pitch to be honest I think like saying both teams are sort of happy with the point I know it, it maybe benefits us a bit more but Either way, I just think neither team wanted that confidence gone of getting beat yesterday and then that going into the final games of the season because that would have been harsh on either of us to get beat badly yesterday and then that foil the rest of the season because the teams have been playing so well recently. No, yeah, I think I think that's fair. It was it was a real cagey game, wasn't it? It was the yeah the Parky favourite won all in the end, um, <laughs> but like. Just I pulled up the XG numbers. So Posh 0.93 XG, Sunderland 0.65. Really low, big chance game. Posh had six shots in the box. Sunderland just two shots in the box. Only two big chances, which were the Schmodic's chance just for the Dembele goal and the Dembele goal itself. Um, the opening stages, the opening, I thought twenty for 25 minutes, I thought Sunderland absolutely bossed the game. And... Although they didn't create anything, they were they were well on top. You saw the game plan. You had Stewart and White 
up front and it was and it was hitting balls from deep into them but it wasn't just panicked or rush balls you could see Sunderland would yeah. would switch play maybe go full back to full back and then hit a hit a hit a long ball into Wyke or Stewart or hit a ball into the channel or hit a diagonal to Jones and they were creating these opportunities by switching play to let them get set in that in that shape get men around the ball and then and then play there and I just thought posh I know why they sat off. They, I think they were concerned about, they knew the game plan was going to be to hit the forwards and wanted to pick up the second balls. But usually we see Posh pressing much higher in either a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-4 shape. They really sat off into a in a 4-4-2 and were really tentative at the start. Um, I noted, I think Posh's passes per defensive action for the first 15 minutes was 20, which, you know, average is usually about 12 or 13. So that was, that was really yeah. quite... Quite passive. How did you see those opening stages from a Sunderland perspective? Um, well, I mean, I remember before, so team news comes out an hour before kickoff, about two hours before kickoff, when the team, like speculations doing the rounds, uh, someone said, I think it was on Twitter, that we were going to play two up front with White and Stewart. And initially people were like, nah, I mean, Ross Stewart hasn't started a game for us yet. He's, he's looked lively when he's came on, but you're just thinking away from home, arguably biggest game of the season he's going to just go with a man and an extra man in the midfield so when the team came out we were, the, initially I was quite happy to see him going for the game but then I started to think about Ledbetter playing in the midfield too obviously he's, he's quite old now I was really surprised watching the game in the first half of the first half at how much space our midfield two got I thought for sure when I saw that Ledbetter was playing in the two that the message from Peterborough would have been get at them don't give them space on the ball but the amount of times that Ledbetter and Winchester were able to drop the pick up the ball and then as you say play a lofted pass into one of the uh, two big men and then get it knocked down I was, I was really surprised by that but obviously I was happy to see it No yeah I mean from a few perspective I can even really remember Posh setting up this way in, in the mid to deep block he's more mid block um, and, and sitting off teams against MK away and Oxford away. Um, both games Posh drew, um, didn't come out of the win, but were dominated really in that game by MK, but much better against Oxford. But that was very much against possession-based teams. But this was against this was against a Sunderland team that, okay, yeah, they have a lot of possession, but we saw yesterday in the game plan yesterday was not to play through the thirds. It was to set up the direct switch of play or or long ball into into the forwards. I'm thinking maybe they thought they could get an aerial advantage against Kent. We have seen teams target Kent um, as a centre-back aerially, but both him and Beavers were, I thought, brilliant yesterday. Yeah. Like stood up to that bombardment really, really well. For Beavers, that's the sort of game he loves. Like he yeah, was, I thought he, that. Yeah, he's he's won. He's got the best aerial dual win percentage in in League One for any centre-back. He is. A, he's got his weaknesses, but he's a dominant, dominant centre-back. But Kent, perhaps not the most dominant, but but is really strong. But yeah, in those opening in those opening stages, I definitely thought Sunderland managed to control the game by playing that direct play. But also, you spoke about the midfield. Absolutely bossed the midfield battle for twenty five minutes, pressing the yeah. ball, hunting in pairs. I I don't think it was. I think it was the twenty sixth minute. I think Posh had their first good passage of play when they managed to switch the ball into midfield, like which is what they were trying to do. So switching it through Reed and Taylor to draw the press 
and then get out through Thompson. Before that, there was no ball progression from Posh, just getting forced back, back all the way to Pim, then and then playing long, playing long so so much. Um, but yeah, after that twenty-five opening though, once Posh had that decent that decent move, which culminated in a loss of possession, then a turnover and uh, Louis Reed shot, which I think was maybe the second or third shot in the game for Posh. I thought they came into that game a lot, a lot better. Did you see Sunderland starting perhaps to lose control of the game or you were still fairly confident in that second part of the first half? Um, I think you sort of, like you said, you could see the switch almost where I think it's a combination of uh, the Peterborough players realising actually we can get at these and Sunderland realising the threat you have on the attack. So you could see when the sort of dynamic of the game almost switched in the first half where it stopped being us passing it around looking for an open and it became a bit more end to end. I think I don't think I was ever confident, especially when I saw Luke going nine nearly kicking in his own net. Heart was in the mouth <laughs> at that point. But um no I thought the general consensus at half time was like you said, we dominated the first half of it and then you came into it a bit more in the second half. I think we um overall edged the first half and use edge the second half if I'm honest yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that at all I definitely as I say that first 25 minutes was was all Sunderland with their pressing posh far too passive couldn't play out didn't hit Johnson Clark Harris enough or get get players around him just got forced back yeah. and back and back trying to play through and then got forced long for turnovers and then it was this resetting up of that of that passion of play it's interesting what you spoke about it being end-to-end it was it was one of those games so where there was a real lack of control from either teams, apart from that opening 25 for Sunderland. And, and what I mean by that was there was 211 turnovers in the game. Um, whereas Posh games, and I'm not sure about Sunderland games, but Posh games average 172. So you can see, therefore, that's a huge jump. in there. Yeah, that's quite a lot, isn't it? Yes, yeah. so there, was, there was no real control in the game. Sunderland's passes per defensive action for the game was 74 which is just, you know, crazy low. That shows how much one pressure yeah. they're getting on the ball. But it also shows how Posh at times struggled to cope, especially in that first half with that pressure, because obviously it's passes per defensive action. So if you're able to play through the press, that's higher. And, and Posh really, really weren't. Um, as, as that first half wore on, I did think, you know, Posh, especially Ward, started running in behind a little bit more, started threatening in behind. Posh looked like they were they were getting into the game a lot more um, and and started to rest that control back. And moving into the second half, I thought once Dembele and, Re- and, and Brown came on, I thought Posh really started to look like the better team and really started to threaten and had all the best moments on the play between perhaps the 55th minute and the Sunderland equaliser. I thought that was Posh's best spell in the game. I thought... I think that was the turning point when I... Sorry, the rookie. When I saw Dembele about to come on, um, I remember he had, in the reverse fixture earlier on in the season, he was really good in that first half of the stadium of light, sort of picking the ball up in little pockets and running at uh, our defence. So um, that was a thing as well I noticed. Um, I believe it was only about 10 minutes into setting off when... Um, you made Peter made two or three changes quickly, which I thought was it showed intent that the manager wasn't just happy with the point. And I think 
I think um, when Dembele came on, that was a bit when we sort of sat, sat back a bit and ultimately were waiting for you to score in the end. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, I think it was eight minutes. I think it was the 53rd minute he did it, or 54th minute. Yeah. I actually thought he might do it at half-time. Um, so, a bit, of, a bit of background, posh fans will know this, many Sunderland fans listening. So, Dembele had been injured a few weeks back and, and therefore right. could only come back into the game, the, the last game as a sub. And so, I'm guessing it was a fitness thing. Um, yeah. Harrison Burroughs started left wing, who's a 19-year-old, been playing really well, really nice technical player gifted ball player but what he doesn't really do is run in behind and threaten with his dribble yeah. and that's something posh definitely lacked without Dembele playing who's like he's he's the best dribbler in the league you can argue about who the best player in the league is but Dembele is the best dribbler in the league and when he started running at players that that was that was really important for posh he actually thought Sanderson at right centre back had a really strong game and his pace was really important for coping with Dembele and Schmodix's pace but Sanderson did struggle a lot more with Dembele when Dembele had a couple of runs at him than he did with Burrows at Burrows at any point in the game. Um, and yeah, and that was that was the big difference. The other thing that started happening was Louis Reed, who's coming and had a couple of really good games, had a really poor game in this one on the ball, in that his passing was n- not good enough. He was slack passes backwards, barely played forwards. When he did play forwards, it was mishit long balls or, or fail switch to play. What happened, I felt, when Brown came on, that control that had been completely lacking, Taylor and Brown got a hold of the game, got a grip of the midfield. Taylor, aside from giving away the free kick, I thought had a really, really strong game. But what it allowed Posh to do was start building out through the fullbacks a lot more. We saw them playing out down the left with Butler. Yeah. Um, he was carrying the ball f- forwards really well, actually got served himself after about an hour, mainly because his passing was uncharacteristically bad. And then also through Thompson and Thompson at right back for Posh. I know he's got a bit of history with Sunderland and the player final at Portsmouth, but he was absolutely outstanding in that second half. For me, was, was yeah. the man of the match. In terms of carrying the ball out, using the ball brilliantly in the, in, in the opposition half. And then just the composure for the goal. How many right-backs, sometimes a centre-back in the league, when they get in the box, have the composure just to do a little drag across the body to create the angle and the time to then play the through ball into Dembele to score. And and from that point, <laughs> I really felt Posh were dominating the game. All the chances were going their way. Sunderland basically limited to long shots. I, I said about only having two shots in the box. Average shot distance was 23 23 yards, which is a long way out for your average shot, shows how well Posh were doing. Uh, Sunderland bombarding the box, getting numbers in the box, crosses in the box. Um, and then eventually they made that, well, quadruple substitution. Do you want to talk to the Posh fans th- about basically what happened at that point when, when Johnson made those quite drastic changes? I think it was the 71st minute. Well, just before that, um, because your goal came sort of down the right right hand side, and then it came across to Dembele. And just before that, there was two occasions where our our left back Mac Fads and every, almost every Sunderland fan would tell you he's just he's just not good enough. He he lacks so much just defensive instinct almost. Um, I mean, put it this way: our back four is made up of Max Power, a centre midfielder at right back. Luke 9 a centre midfielder slash full back at centre back, and Dion Sanderson, a 21 year old low knee at centre back. 
And then Callum McFadden's in at left back, who's actually a left back, and <laughs> he's the biggest liability out of four by a mile. So um, we had Denver Hume on the bench for the first time. I don't even think he's played under Lee Johnson. So the two occasions where you got in just before the goal, I think was it Schmodex got in and dragged it wide. Was it just before the goal? I yeah, that's that's the one. Burge actually did really well in that. Came off his line. Yeah, kept a, that. kept was, a lot of he, the goal. Um, he was out quick, yeah. But there was there was one before that where he got past McFadden, and then another one where you really should have scored. And at that point, I think we're all just thinking, please bring on Hume or put Old Nine there, just anything. And then for the goal, I mean, people, I know some of our players were arguing he was pulled down, but I haven't looked at it properly. But to me, it just looked like once again he'd been beat, and he was just. Last last chance, trying to fault the ground to get a free kick, trying to get something. But that's the thing. Um, when I saw four subs coming on, that's the that's the difference between Lee Johnson and Phil Parkinson. If that was Phil Parkinson in charge of that game, you would have had the five at the back. You would have went one nil up, and he wouldn't have changed it. He might have, with two minutes to go, shoved someone like. Jack Diamond, a young energetic winger on his fullback, like he did a few times. So I think credit to Lee Johnson. He's he maybe he maybe left it too late, but obviously Hume's got an injury, so he knows more about that than us. But I think credit to him for because uh, there was a few chances. I think he had a few chances after the goal or a few like nervy moments. But I think he just thought we need to get a point from this game, and credit to him for bringing on the four substitutes because I thought I thought. Um, I was sad when Jones went off, but he's just recovering from an injury. And I actually thought Lyndon Gooch played quite well, just getting us up the pitch, which we really struggled with for most of the second half, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I was I was quite happy when Jones came off. I thought he wasn't as involved in the game, but I thought he was a bit of a threat. And it was it was interesting with Sunderland's tactical setup. I know it was the four four two or four two two two, whatever you want to call it, but a lot of the time they were switching yeah. to almost like a three two three two. So Powell would tuck in at right centre-back and Nine would, would pull a bit wider. McFadden would give width and that allowed McGeady to, to come inside. And it just felt after these subs, I feel as though mm-hmm. they almost formalised that. And it, it, almost, it looked like more regularly being the back three with McGeady tucked inside. But yeah, Jones did got some dangerous balls into the box when he was on the pitch. Had one really good run against Butler and he is, he is a danger. But yeah, as you say, Hume... Hume did really did really well when he came on as well. You mentioned yeah. about McFadden and everything going down the right, like yeah, partly because of Butler's when he did get in the when at their fact when he did get forward, he gave the ball away too often, which is why he was served. But yeah, Posh Posh were loving it down that right hand side. Thompson Thompson and Ward's right back right wing combo is is probably Posh's biggest strength in terms of their relationships and their partnerships. Ward was getting in behind Thompson was just having an absolute field day down that side. So credit Johnson for making the subs. I didn't actually feel like in the 10 minutes or, well, I think it was about seven minutes between the subs and the free kick happening. I didn't actually feel they made that much of a difference. I still felt Posh were relatively in control until they gave away the free kick. And again, the free kick, if you watch it back, comes from one of those 21 turnovers I mentioned at the start of the pod in Posh's third. I, I want to touch on this because I saw Mason, who came at left back, getting a bit of stick for playing the ball to Taylor. And I've, and I've watched it back and, and live. They didn't show a replay of it live. I thought it was a poor pass from Mason. It's actually a really good pass from Mason to Taylor. 
Taylor, I can't remember who tackles him. You might be able to help me with that. Um, I think it was Josh Gowan. I know he won the free kick. I think yeah, it was, it would, I think it was yeah, Gowan. Yeah. It was the same player who won who won the free yeah, kick. Yeah, it was Josh Gowan. Yeah. They were they were on the, the wrong side of him, so the Peter Rigol side of him. Mason plays a nice pass to Taylor's right foot. Maybe it bobbles slightly with the pitch, but it's just a poor touch from Taylor. He likes to do this little drag away from pressure, and he's really good at that drag away from pressure. But yeah. on this occasion, he doesn't need to do it. He can just take a simple side foot and, and play forwards because the pass is well-weighted and good. And then he panics and he commits the foul. And then yeah. I want to talk about the goal as well because this has been a huge controversy, a huge topic with the goalkeeper, Pim, who's been slightly out of form, getting a, getting a lot of stick for the goal. Now, number one, his positioning was heavily questioned. The thing I would yeah. say about his position is from the main camera on the side angle or, or the diagonal camera on the halfway line, it makes it look like he's far further across the goal than he was. It makes it look like he's way closer to the far post than he was. From I the- said that straight away. It looked like a huge gap, didn't it? Because yeah. I remember when the free kick was given, obviously when you've got someone like Aidan McGeady, anything's possible, but you're sort of hoping it would be on the other side for right foot of curler, but... I remember as soon as I saw the gap, I just sat up and thought, there's a huge gap if he can get it over the wall here. Yeah, I mean, he is off-centre, but if you watch it behind the goal, he's not as far off-centre as he looks. He's he's only about a yard off-centre, whereas it looks like he's three or four yards (laughs) off-centre. So I think he could be half a step further left, and I think he could be a yard back. But... The thing with Pim, and this is the thing I'm going to say, most League One keepers save that free kick because it's nowhere near the corner. Yes, it's high, but he, he's able to get there. Pim, given his height, and he doesn't have the best spring, he doesn't have the best leap, we've seen time and time again this season, he cannot get off the ground in these high diving saves. I did some research at the end of February, and he and at that time he was minus 20% in the expected save percentage for high diving saves. Um, compared to their post-shot XG. So this is a ah. huge flaw in his game. He, he's short, he doesn't get off the ground, and he can't top-hand save. So given those characteristics, Pim has no chance of making this save. And this is basically, as Peterborough fans, a trade-off that we have to, that we have to accept, is that he's good ball at feet, he's a really good low shot stopper, he's a really good reaction shot stopper, but... This this poor run of form, a lot of the goals we're seeing have been partly due to that high diving save that he can't make and partly due to him giving away rebounds into dangerous areas, which he tends to do when diving right and scoop technique. So I've seen loads of people question his confidence or his mentality. For me, this poor run that he's on isn't to anything to do with confidence or mentality. It's more to do with his weaknesses have been exploited more, have been found out more, just mainly through coincidence than they were in the opening part of the season. Obviously, that was the goal from a Peter's perspective. From a Sunderland perspective, it's very different. It is a good free kick from McGee. He gets it over the wall with curl, gets it high in the goal, obviously not in the corner. After that goal, I thought Sunderland went from being well second best to finishing much the stronger. You saw them move in the ball quicker, switch and play really nicely. And it was the first time with the game stretched and open and, and posh not necessarily sitting that 4-4-2. I thought it was really something dominating through ball carrying. Whereas in the first half, it had been through 
you know, pressing in that midfield area and direct balls and stopping Posh playing out. In that, that last 10, 15 minutes, I thought Sunderland were dominated it through getting runners through midfields and the side of midfields and getting into the final third that way. And if anyone was going to score, it was going to be Sunderland. You saw that that cross that took the deflection and, and came off the and came off the post. How did if if you want to talk about the goal from Sunderland's perspective, please do that. But then how did you see the second half and, and those closing moments? Um, no, I think for the goal, um, once I calmed down from celebrating and you watch it from a neutral point of view, you'd be, I'd be disappointed if Burge didn't save it. Um, cause it's not really anywhere near the corner. I mean, there's, there's whip on it. I mean, it just shows having someone like Aidan McGeady, we were talking earlier about McFadden's problems at left back. And I think that really affects McGeady because like I said before the goal, it was constant attack down the right-hand side. It means McGeady's got to then sit in for McFadden. So then when we win the ball, he's in our half, which for a 35-year-old Aidan McGeady, you effectively just want him to stand on the opposition's box and give it to him when you're attacking. But it just shows he, he didn't even have a particularly good game yesterday, but he can come up with moments of magic. So we're just grateful to have a player like that. But I think what you were saying after the goal, it, it came a bit... Um, a bit late from our point of view because we we dominated after. As you said, it looked like if it went on for say five or ten minutes more, we might have nicked a goal or something. Um but I think I think overall the uh, point was a fair one. But like I was saying about the four substitutes, I think they really helped after the goal particularly. Um because we were talking about the impact Dembele made. A similar player we have is Lyndon Gooch, maybe not as technical and skillful as Dembele, but he's a ball carrier. So I think what we saw after the goal with tired legs was Gooch, who was fresh, coming deep from right back, uh, coming to the right back, picking up the goal, ball, getting us 20 yards up the pitch to maybe win a free kick or a corner. So I think overall happy with the point, but towards the end, I, I was more wanting it to go on and on. And I'm guessing you were sort of happy for the final whistle in the end. Yeah, I think exactly what you say. With, with this system, Gooch made a, a big difference, didn't he? In terms of... It, it became far more regular that back three I spoke about with him playing, uh, yeah. him getting high as, as well. Um, yeah, I mean, happy happy with the result. I was really deflated after the game because I felt before the free kick and before the goal, Posh were in complete control. One thing I forgot to mention with the goal actually is the fact that there's been a bit of debate when Pim's injury occurred. And some people think. Oh it, yes, I forgot about that. Was, was it his ribs? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I think it started with his hip and was maybe. Then he was holding his side. I'm not 100 percent sure. But obviously, I was watching Sky. Apparently, the BBC Cambridge commentators noticed the injury before the goal. Now, obviously, the injury, oh right, okay. Obviously, the injury looked wor- much worse after the goal. But I personally, I think, and I, and if anyone wants to see any footage, I shared it on my. Twitter earlier with a thread. We've seen how Pim cannot get up into that high top quarter of the goal in his dives. And I don't think he saves it regardless of the injury. I don't want right. to sound too hard on him because he has his real strength as a keeper, superb reaction stopper, really good low stopper, a good ball at feet. But this is a weakness in his game. And maybe the injury plays a part. But for me, injured or fit, Pim, Pim doesn't save it. That's what I would say on that. But then, yeah, when the full-time whistle came, I was both deflated that Posh had conceded through the free kick and through giving the ball away 
what, 10 yards outside the area when they needlessly, really, when they had an opportunity to break lines. But, yeah. but simultaneously relieved because, as you say, after the goal, it was like momentum is a real thing in football. It's really hard to conceptualise oh, yeah, yeah. and, and define, but it is real. And Posh, like Sunderland had the momentum in the first 25 minutes. Posh had one good move and, for me, then managed to build into the game. And in, in the second half, Posh had all the momentum up to the goal. And then after the goal, obviously, you, as, as, the, as the team that just scored, you're confident builds you, you you find a bit of an extra spring in your step as a team that this conceded then you can see Sunderland were pressing with that same intensity they brought in the first 25 minutes which had dipped a bit Posh didn't have that control in the midfield Sunderland started winning the midfield battle driving through midfield and yeah 100% when that final whistle gone I was I was relieved that the final whistle had gone while simultaneously being absolutely gutted that Posh hadn't won a game that she, they seemingly were moving towards it a, winning. It was a real roller coaster of emotion, really, wasn't it? Sort of, it sort of seemed to change every ten minutes. I mean, just before our the goal, our free kick, when you when when it was one nil, and really, if anyone was going to score, it would have been Peter Brigett in a second. I remember just thinking, right, just just nick an equaliser. It's still in our hands. So then, fast forward ten minutes to full time. The initial reaction was, ah. Oh, we haven't won the game, but then you've got to take everything as it comes, really. And overall, a good point. But it was weird how you sort of you, you felt two things at once at half time, uh, full time, sorry. But then once you look back, you think a point, probably a fair result and a, a good result for both teams, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tight, cagey game. Yeah, on, definitely. On the balance of chances, Posh had the better chances. Yeah. But only had one good spell where all their chances mainly came in. Sunderland had spells when they were by far the team on top without really creating with Posh defending really well. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't argue you can't argue with the point. Low chance game, low margin game. One all, you take it. Talking of roller coasters that you mentioned, we are going to finish by looking forwards. So updated league table. Hull are top with seventy six points. Uh, from 40 games. Posh are second with 73 points from 39 games. Sunderland third with 71 from 38. They look the most three, the three most likely sides to go up automatically. I wouldn't totally discount Portsmouth or Blackpool, but yeah. it's, it's going to take a really good run from either of those sides to make the top two. But, you know, Pompey changed the manager, banging form. Blackpool have been in an incredible run of form for, for a long time now after a slow start. How do you see this running panning out from a sending perspective? Are you are you confident moving forwards? Um, yes, I don't like to say I'm confident in Sunderland because usually seeing the letters down. But this is the most confident I've been in the Sunderland team for for years, going back to the Premier League under Sam Allardyce. I think we've got a we've got a good manager, a young manager. We've got the takeover, obviously, and I think we've got a good group of players who are fighting for each other. Um, and obviously, we've got the best. We've got one of the best forms in the league. So, I am confident. I don't think it will be straightforward at all. I mean, it feels like we've been in the same position in the league for four weeks now, and the, the, the three hasn't changed. It's sort of, you you're watching our game at three o'clock on a Saturday. We're winning. You're happy, and then you're checking Peterborough also winning, Hull are also winning. So, it's um. But like I say, it's in our hands. If if Hull, Sunderland, and Peterborough win all of their games, Sunderland win the league. So I'm going to stick with that answer for now. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, although obviously Sunderland's still got hole to play. Um, both teams have fairly tricky in running. So looking at the stock of stats data that have have they basically calculate how difficult your running is by looking at the points per game of your yeah. opponent that you're playing at their venue. So obviously, All right. so obviously the hardest game in League One going into the like go before yesterday's Peter at home, for example, because Peter have two and a half points yeah. per game at home, but away from home they're one point. That's really low, one point three or something. So obviously, oh, really? that it will calculate it that way. Uh, so if you're looking at that in holes remaining six games, um, one point four six points per game there at the venue. The their opponents, Peterborough, who did have a really hard run in statistically a month or two ago, played some of the harder games and what were looking really hard games, which are Doncaster and twice and Lincoln. Those games now not looking quite as hard given Doncaster's form and given Lincoln's injuries and and issues, although that could yeah. completely change by the time we face Lincoln, 1.35, and Sunderland also hard at, at 1.47. So there's there's going to be twists, there's going to be turns. Statistically, Peter has the easiest running, but at this point I say that doesn't really matter so much because, you know, Holler got six games, Posh seven, Sunderland eight. If any team... If Hull win four or if Peterborough win five, if Sunderland win six, I'd say that's going to be about good enough to get promoted. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it's it's hard because every fan at this stage of the season, you're going through the fixtures and you're going, that should be three points, that should be you take a point, whatever. But it's it's this stage of the season where you might, uh, for example, we go to um, Wigan, I believe, next Tuesday. And it's a game like that where you might think, in your head three points and then you go and you might get beaten. It's just because everyone in the league's fighting for stuff. So the, the teams you want to play at this run are the, the mid-table teams who can't really go up or down. But I think we have tough games. Holloway is obviously a massive game. We had um, Oxford and then Peterborough before this and we've got Blackpool to play twice who are absolutely flying. So it's gonna. I think it's going to go down to the wire. Yeah. And Posh's, from Peterborough's perspective, Posh's next four games... Swindon away, Derby at home v Northampton, Gillingham at home, Charlton away, uh, Charlton away, and Charlton have one of the worst home records in the league. Yeah, <laughs> got to win three of those from a, from a posh perspective. If posh win three of those games, which they should be able to do. It looks a generous fixture list. I hate doing this because we've seen we've seen teams have really hard fixture lists and win them all, and vice versa. It's so, so hard. It's so hard to try and do, but I mean. You've got to do it when it gets down to this part of the season. I think from a, a Sunderland point of view, I'm obviously going to be biased and say we'll be one of the two. But I was thinking about this before I came on and looking at Hull and Peterborough, it's really hard to call. Because I think Peterborough are the better maybe team, especially going forward. You've got Clark Harris, Dembele, Smorix, all sorts. But Hull just seem to grind out results and get the wins, which is what you want when you're going forward. So it's really hard to call for me between Peterborough and Hull. I think I think it maybe just goes down to maybe even the likes of injuries or mistakes. Like like you were saying yesterday, football's a hard game. It looked like Peterborough would dominate and going to win 1-0, maybe even score a second and then a sloppy mistake in midfield and you've drawn the game 1-1. So it's really hard to call. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to call it. You've you've said you think Sunderland are going up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on any of it because it's two from three. I think everyone basically has an equal chance. The, yeah. the, the whole, yes, like they're 
I think on the eye, maybe not the best, but have, you know, really good underlying numbers, have real talent in that team. Keep yeah, they've got Potter, a good team. Malik Wilkes. If they, had a, if they had a decent number nine, which I don't think they do, they I think they would have won the league comfortably. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. If they had Charlie White or Clark Harris, I think they'd have run away with it because um, they're just, there's always that team in League One that just, Sort of, you don't really notice them. You, you play them, and you, I remember we played Hull. This is a long time ago now, to be fair, but it was the league, might have been the Papa John's Cup. Uh, I can't remember what cup it was, um, which is like the, the week before the official season starts. And we got beat on penalties, but they were just, they did nothing. And I remember everyone saying, Oh, that's everyone's expecting Hull to be up there. Um, so they, they just seem a bit like that team that just. You, you might they're a bit boring. They might be a bit boring to watch or this and that. But you, you look, you'll check full time. They've won two 0 or won three one. So it's really hard to call, especially if all three teams just keep winning. Yeah, I mean, Hull for me, Hull have a really solid base. And in Honeyman, Wilkes, Lewis Potter, um, Gavin White, they have weapons that can, yeah, that can agreed. win you games. And and to be honest, if if you and Posh were like this a lot in the first half of the season, if where they were built off a solid defence and then the ability of Clark Harris, Ward, Schmodix and Dembele to win your games. And and that and at this level, that does win you a lot of games if you're solid and if you have this quality, even if you're perhaps not the, the best on the eye or even if perhaps you don't look like you're dominating games or, or controlling games. But yeah, whatever happens, it's going to be super, super exciting. As a Peterborough fan... We've had a lot of seasons where we flattered to deceive, so it's just really, really good to be right in the mix. I'm going to try the best I can to enjoy it, and hopefully, <laughs> potentially, Sunderland and Peterborough will be seeing each other in the Championship next season. Uh, very unlikely both will be in League One, but it remains to be seen who's going to go up. Um, I'm going to say thank you, Sam. Thank you very much for coming on. I really enjoyed that, and you came in at late notice as well, so really appreciate it. And um, No, no, no problem. It was good to talk about, and... Um... Hopefully we'll see you in the championship next year. Yeah, fingers crossed. And then we can we can do this again next season, talking about championship football with football with both teams battling out for survival, likely rather than rather than promotion. But uh, a big thank you as well to everyone who listened at home.